0: Thank you for listening to a sermon from Knox Evangelical Presbyterian Church located in Kenmore, New York. Our senior pastor is Justin Olivetti. To reach Knox Church, please email us at office at knoxypc.com or call us at 716-873-2423. To request prayer, email us at prayerchain at knoxypc.com. Now, let's listen.
1: Remain standing and join with me as we read... Our scripture today, Psalm 3, it's located okay on page 527 in your pew Bible. I'm just going to give you a heads up. Have it open and keep it open today, so you're going to need to refer to it. I'm going to read Psalm 3. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from this holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though ten thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked, for the Lord... From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. May God bless this reading of his word today. Please have a seat. When you're a child, the scariest time of day tends to be right at night when you're sent off to bed. Parents think that this is just the perfect ideal time to leave you alone in the dark with an overactive imagination. Right? Definitely? Yeah. So so you want as many lights on in your room as possible. yeah. I used to get scared when I went to bed at night. And I think part of that is because my parents taught me a prayer that we prayed every night. It was a very classic prayer. Probably you're aware of it. It's uh, the now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the sword, Lord my soul to keep. That's a good, I mean, right there we could have stopped, right? You know what comes next. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. That verse there, that line there convinced me that my parents knew I probably wasn't going to make it to the next morning, that monsters were real, and they were just waiting until my parents closed the door, and then they'd reach up and and grab me. Uh, once when I was in college, uh, one of my uh, friends thought it would be pretty hilarious to pull a stunt on me. So I went to bed one night, and then I had some friends call me out of my dorm room. So I got up, and I'm all groggy. I'm like, what's this about? And they talk nonsense. I go back to bed. What I didn't realize is my other friend hid under my bed. Wait till I went to sleep and then reached up. And I had this arm Pah! come down on me. I was convinced that night the the Lord was going to take my soul, right? I think after I prayed when I was a kid, uh, I would pray that prayer, and then I'd be like, okay, well, thank you, Lord, that I have these monster-proof blankets, and my nightlight, those are the only bulwarks I have against the monsters finally getting me. I mean, what a prayer. Why did we ever teach kids that prayer? Okay. I I thought about that, and I was actually kind of wrestling with that. I thought at first that was kind of insensitive. But the more I thought about it, the more I think there's there's a brutal honesty in this prayer, that kind of truth that maybe we do need to teach kids, that danger may come, but if we trust in God, he will keep us secure. Danger will come, but if we trust in God, he'll keep us secure. The essence of that classic kid's prayer, I think, is echoed here, In Psalm 3, this Psalm 3 is David's now I lay me down to sleep psalm. He's facing the most terrifying night of his entire life. We're going to talk about that in a second. And as he goes into this terrifying night, the question is, will he even have a possibility of getting restful sleep, of having a real rest beyond a few hours of just tossing and turning in his blanket? I want us to look back at Psalm 3 here for a moment, and I want you to denote something right at the top. So every once in a while in one of the Psalms, you're going to get what we call superscript. It's usually in little italics, and it gives you a little bit of context about the psalm. Psalm 3 is the first psalm that we see this happening. And up here, here's your, here's your little fun psalm trivia of the day. This is actually sacred scripture. This is the first verse of the psalm. This was in the original psalm. A lot of times when we see superscripts in the Bible, they're like they break up sections, and they just give you an idea. Those were added by copyists and by editors later on, but not in the Psalms. This is actually the first verse of the Psalm, and so we kind of number it in a r- weird way. But here, that, that superscript gives us a bit of context where Psalm 3 is coming from. And in the case of Psalm 3, we find that this was written by David when he was on the run from his son Absalom. Now, Absalom was the son that went bad in that family. He went went really bad. He was a murderer, and he eventually had this this desire to overtake the throne of his father David. He wanted to become king. He saw everything David had, and Absalom said, I want that. So Absalom started on a multi-year campaign to win the hearts and the minds of the country around him. And then he staged a coup. And David narrowly escaped this coup. He actually fled the palace without shoes on his feet. Running, he was actually, the Bible says he was crying as he fled out of the city, as the city rose up in a revolt against him. And as he was running away, talk about adding insult to injury. Some of Saul's relatives saw David running and crying, and they they heaped insults and curses on David as he ran by. And David ran off into the wilderness with just a few faithful followers and hid from his son who was trying to murder him. Now it gets even worse. In 2 Samuel 17, Absalom, who's now sitting on the throne, he has the crown on his head, he requests and gets from Israel's elders the permission to raise an army of 12,000 men to go after David and kill him. 12,000 men. He gets that permission. And Absalom tells him this. He says, I will attack David while he is weary and weak. I will strike him with terror. And when I do that, all the people around him will flee. Absalom says, this is basically an assassination force. I'm going to go kill David, but I won't kill all the other people. They'll, They'll get so scared, they'll run away. Now, I don't know what your talent is for making enemies in your life. Some people may have, have pretty big grudges against you, but I guarantee you, you've never ticked somebody off to the degree where they raise a force of 12,000 people with the express purpose of murdering you as you flee into the wilds of western New York. Imagine that. Now, as David o. writes these opening lines of Psalm 3, now you have an idea of where he's coming from. You get the, 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 the motion here, this frantic... Panicked feeling that thousands of oppressors are crushing in on every side. The language says here that his foes, his own countrymen, his own subjects, people who should have been loyal to him, they're not just coming after him, but they're multiplying. They're like the, just a thousand one day, but they're ten thousand the next day. And on top of that, as they're coming after him, they're taunting him. They're saying, David, Nobody's going to get you out of this. Your God can't deliver you. God's going to strike you down. God's not there for you. They taunt David. They said, David, there's no deliverance in your future. Your death is coming. In response to that, I think it's kind of surprising that David doesn't then just throw on his shield, his armor, and take up his sword and get ready to wade out into battle. He knows, as Ephesians 6 tells us, that the real fight isn't always against flesh and blood, but is against rulers of darkness of this age, the spiritual hosts of wickedness. He knows that this, the real threat here is as much spiritual as it is physical. So when you have a spiritual fight in your life, what do you do? You get on your knees and you pray. And that's what he's doing. He issues this prayer to God. There's actually two prayers here in Psalm 3. And this first prayer to God is a prayer of anguish, a prayer of desperation. A prayer of God. I, I'm not long for this world. This is my oppressor. They're coming for me. I can hear them. I can hear them march and I can see their torches. I can hear the rattling of their sh- swords and their shields. And he prays honestly. He said, God, deliver me. Let me ask you. Honestly, does God deliver you when you're under assault? Can God deliver you? Does he deliver you? Does he deliver you when you're under assault, whether you're under physical assault, emotional, mental, sexual, spiritual assault? Does he deliver you? Some will see you in the midst of your assault, staggering. And they'll go, you're a Christian. Where's your God? Why isn't he pulling you out of this right now? If God was really real and you're one of his best friends, why wouldn't he be there for you right now? Why isn't he delivering you? guess that's proof there's no God. I think that's a lie of the highest order. It suggests that God either doesn't care about you, or he is powerless to act to save you. Now, we know God acts according to his good pleasure and according to his will, but I think we need to never believe the lies of our enemies that says, or even our own head that says, God won't deliver you. God will deliver you. In his timing, in his will, he will deliver you. If you can't sleep, if you're in a point in your life where you just can't get real rest because you are full of anxiety and you're full of worry and every, every, all these thoughts are in your head and you're like your own worst enemy. You can't get that real rest. Bring your concerns to God. Look at David. David didn't know what was going to happen. But he got on his knees and he prayed to God and he said, God, I'm going through something right now and I need your help. I can't solve it on my own. I need you. I need you. Raise your concerns to God. Don't hog them to yourself. You've got enough worries in your life. Give them up to God. You've got enough things to do. Raise them to the God who can and who will deliver you. What's fascinating to me is how David ends his first prayer here in Psalm 3. You're still looking at your Bible here. You see that in the first few verses. He doesn't end that prayer with this solemn Gregorian chant of ah, 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 Amen. He doesn't do that, right? What's He closes out that first prayer with a loud call to God. A barbaric yelp. He's crying with every ounce of breath in his lungs. He shouts to God, that's, that man, that's a way to end a prayer right there. You're probably stunned if you ever come to our prayer groups on Wednesday night. You, know, you don't want to scare people. you know, nice and calm and calm and, Amen! You, know, you, don't want to, you don't want to do that, okay? Let's keep it calm. But sometimes our prayers build up to where our, the ending of our prayer isn't calm. It's a shout. It's a call to God. Say, God, hear me! And that's what David ends his first prayer on. And if he knows if he's going to have any ability to sleep that night, he needs a watch guard. He needs somebody to watch over him. And that's who he's calling with this shout, saying, God, watch over me. It's a very nakedly emotional cry. It lets you know where exactly he's at in his life. He's appealing to one who can watch over him in the way nobody else possibly can. David knows God controls all situations. God's already established a promise with David that he would endure the throne of David through all generations, and he would make sure that lineage of David would continue. And so David says, God, you promised me that. Deliver on your promise. Be there for me. Don't fail your anointed king in this moment. And God absolutely would not do that. To rest, David needed to feel secure. What makes you feel secure? There's a lot of things. Maybe it's the arms of a parent. Man, even, even as older, you know, you can always remember how it made you feel to run into the arms of a parent and have them encircle you there. What about today? What about maybe a hefty nest egg might make you feel secure, having good stock options? What about getting a good doctor's report? Coming home, whew, Dodged another bullet there, right? I'm going to live another 120. Benji told me the other day, he said, Dad, I was thinking, when you're 147, I'm going to be 100 100, uh, 100 years old. And I said, yes, that's what will happen. I got a good bill of health from my 7-year-old. So 143. Yes, you totally did. Yes, you did. Maybe, maybe what makes you feel secure is a bed with monster proof blankets. That might be what makes you feel secure. What about friends who go to bat for you? That makes me feel secure sometimes. All those are good things, but they aren't perfect. They're not infallible. There's always that hole at the bottom of the blanket where the monsters could get you. But God cannot and will not fail you, He is your security, He is your safety. Remember that David, he had a kingdom, he had a palace, he had walls, he had money, he had wealth, he had almost anything you could possibly look at in this world for safety and security. And all of that meant nothing when his son overthrew everything as he's hiding in a cave and he's praying this prayer. And he realizes, all of that was not my safety and security. My safety and security is always in God. And that won't let me down. That was my divine Watch guard. And that's what was going to help him get that real rest he wanted, knowing that God was watching over him. And I love the language here. Look at how God swings into action. There's a lot of verbiage in in Psalm 3, a lot of actions as God takes here. In response to David's cry, God first guards him, not like a shield that's in front of him, but a shield that wraps all the way around him. The Bible doesn't have a word for tank. But that's what David's talking about here. He's, God, you're my tank. I'm in the middle of you know many, many inches of solid armor. You've wrapped around me. God gives David his dignity, his glory back. He had his glory stolen away from him in this whole coup thing. He feels impotent. He feels weak. He feels helpless. God restores to him that glory. He lifts his head up. I love that language, that lift his head up. is like what a king would do to a subject whose head is down and the king would take the chin and lift the chin up so that they could look at each other and he gives him that dignity and it gives him his honor back and then finally he responds to David's plea he protects him he removes his fear from him and ultimately yes he delivers him remember that the key verse of all the psalms usually many most of the psalms is not at the end it's usually in the middle Hebrew Hebrew poets would put the main point In the middle of the psalm. So the middle of the psalm here is verse 5. And verse 5 is where we find our key verse of Psalm 3. I lie down to sleep, David writes. I wake again. Because why? The Lord sustains me. I can go to sleep safe and secure, God. And I know I'm going to wake again because you will sustain me. And if I wake again in heaven, you're sustaining me there but you got me either way. You got me either way. He shows this complete confidence in God. I love that. He starts out the, the psalm, and he's in a panic, he, but by, by verse 5, he has a deep trust and deep confidence in God. His eyes have gone from looking at that danger to looking at God, and he's like, God, how can I even, how can I even be worried right now? Look at you. Look at what you are, who you are. This is nothing. This army of 12,000, It's nothing. I'm going to go to bed now, God. And I'm probably going to wake up in the morning because you will sustain me. You'll sustain me. And he gets that real rest. He feels utterly secure. Do we remember God's promises to us? Do we remember that God promises to supply you with every need you need in your life, as Philippians 4 said? Do you remember God's promise to prepare a room for you in heaven? and to come down and to bring you there when you die, as John 14 says? Do we remember God's promises as we read here to watch over us, to sustain us, to make us feel safe and secure when we are feeling overwhelmed, or even in mortal peril? Do we remember those promises? We can't get to this state of deep trust and subsequently real rest in God until we have a fuller understanding of who God is, And who God is is contained in his promises. He shows us so much of who he is by the promises he makes and he keeps for you. The best way to do this, a very practical way, is to look at all the promises in the Bible. And that's going to keep you busy for a while. Because God loves making promises to you. But look at those promises and then make a list. Make two two columns. You like making lists? One column, the promises he's made to you and already delivered to you and then the ones that are yet to come. And look at that column of all the promises, all the ways he's already been faithful to you, and then look at those future promises and start feeling hope, start feeling secure, start feeling trust in God. And you know because these promises have been fulfilled, those will be too. And that starts getting you really excited because those future promises are good things. They're all good things for you. That will help you rest easy. And even though David gets a good night of rest here, I think, in that cave, as he writes this, this psalm, it's not enough because this, the threat's still there, right? The 12,000 people, they're, they're still coming. Absalom, right at the beginning, breathing murderous threats against David. That's why in verse 6, he wakes up, gets a pot of coffee, and you can see that, that caffeine's really in him because he gets pretty worked up. And he implores God in as strong language as possible. He said, God, arise. Let's go to battle, God. Let's get to work. Arise, God, go to battle before me. He implores God, wait into battle before me. And he asks God for two things. We're going to talk about imprecatory psalms in future weeks. And they're kind of difficult where a psalmist will ask God to deliver judgment on his enemies. But here, let me just say this. The two things he asked for, one, to strike his enemies on the jaw. That is symbolic. That is talking about bringing humiliation and defeat to his enemies. It's a sign of public disgrace. And then he asks for God to break their teeth, which is very uncomfortable if we think about it for any amount of time, if you've ever been to the dentist. But the image here is of a lion who's grabbed his prey by his jaws. And you know those big cats, man. They got strong jaws, and when they get their jaws on something, they do not let it go. And the image here is God breaking the teeth of the lion so that it lets its prey go. The prey is David. It's like God break their teeth, smack them across the face, bring them humiliation, defeat. And this is a battle cry of freedom. It's like, God, save me. Help me to be free. You see, for David, the refuge wasn't enough for real rest. He he got rest that night. But for real rest, victory was required. God had to go the distance. It wasn't just uh, confidence in God. He had to be delivered. The victory here would eliminate the threat of his spirit and his body. And only victory would counter the blasphemous lie that God would not deliver David. So as Absalom's forces closed on David, you can read that again in Psalm or 2 Samuel 17. God did in fact deliver over the chapters we see how God raised up people who were still loyal to David and people started gathering to him and as David was snaking his way through the wilderness friends would appear who would shelter him or who would give him food would give him comfort and finally on the days those two the day that those two armies met Absalom's forces were defeated were soundly defeated and Aslan himself was, was fleeing in the battle, and his hair got stuck in a tree. He ended up hanging from the tree in his hair. And that's how David's forces found him and killed him. On that day, salvation and deliverance belonged to the Lord just as any other day. And that's something David would never forget. Well, we must always remember that in addition to being a king, David also functioned as a prophet. He was a prophet who would deliver prophecies in the Psalms pointing forward to Jesus. And in fact, we can reread Psalm 3. as not just a story of David's miraculous deliverance from Absalom, but we can read the story of Jesus here as well. Look at this again. Biblical prophecies function on two levels, often simultaneously, the immediate and the long range. So the immediate here, once it's fulfilled, serves as kind of a template, as an object example, as an object lesson of what's to come. So when God delivers David, it's pointing forward to a greater deliverance to come. So he's not just writing this about himself. He's pointing forward to Jesus Christ. And it's really eerie when you look at this and you think about how these could be the very words of Jesus. Right? Like David, Jesus had numerous enemies surround him, enemies who used to be his followers, his countrymen. He had somebody betray him too, who was closest to him. And when Jesus was hanging on the cross, his enemies said the same thing to Jesus as they did to David. David, your God won't deliver you. When Jesus is on the cross, they said to Jesus, he trusts in God, let God deliver him now. Same thing. That's why the Psalms are the words of Jesus. And like David, Jesus expressed his utmost confidence in his Father's ability to save and deliver him from distress. Hebrews 5, 7 tells us, Jesus offered up prayers with loud cries, with tears to him, who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. His deliverance didn't come until after the cross, but it did come on Easter morning. Jesus was delivered in much the same way David was delivered. Jesus knew that glory would come after suffering because his watchguard, his father, Would not fail him. David concludes here in the last verse of Psalm 3 with his second prayer, a prayer of blessing over his people. A good king wants to bless his people. And again, if we look at Psalm 3 as the words of Jesus, Jesus also has prayed for and continues to pray for his people. He asks for blessings upon his elect, upon his people. Do we crave real rest in our lives? We can only look at our lives and go, man, I I can't remember the last time. I wasn't worried about something. I wasn't scared about something. I didn't have some sort of sleepless night. We really would love real rest in our life, to know that we're feeling fully secure. And no matter what happens, it's okay. It's okay. In order to do that, we have to be able to see the victory that secures our real peace. We have to be able to see, as David did, that the end of all this is victory, and it's going to be all right. That lasting victory takes place for us in the form of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when we can't sleep, when anxieties are boiling over in your life, we need to first express that distress to God. Get down on your knees. Be okay with feeling overwhelmed. That's all right. But take that Give it to God. You're not alone. He's going to hear you. First John tells you, you lift up that prayer. He promises you he will hear that prayer. It will go right to his ear. Then you need to trust in God's promises so that you can enjoy a real rest right now. Even if you're in the middle of a battle, even if you're under assault, right now you can go home and you can have real rest in your life because he is with you. He will restore your dignity. He will give you honor. He will shield you. He will be with you. He will deliver you. And finally, be, expect to be delivered into that real rest one day as we go to heaven. And forever after that point, we will never have to worry about being under assault again because we will have been delivered once and for all from the pain, the suffering, and the death of this world because of the work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, may we have real rest today. Not based on our own wealth, our own health, our own abilities. But Lord, may we have that real rest because you are our God. And there is nothing mightier, there is nothing greater, and there is nothing that brings us that assurance of salvation, that assurance that things will be okay. Lord, be with us right now as each one of us are fighting different battles in our lives. Some of those battles are mental, some of them are financial, some of them are spiritual. Lord, those battles are huge. But may we be as David was. Look at those battles and then look at you and go, that's nothing. That's nothing compared to you. And help us to get excited because you will deliver us. All God's people said. Isn't that a hymn David could have sang right there? Great is your faithfulness, God. Great is your faithfulness. Let us remember God is faithful. He sees you. He loves you. He hears your cries. He's there for you. Now receive the benediction from Second John. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. From God the Father, and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son, in truth and love, amen. If you'd like an elder to pray over you, you can come forward. For everybody else, go with peace.
0: Thank you again for listening. It is our sincere prayer that today's message has brought you closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We welcome you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. You can also audio stream our full service. Details can be found at our website. Our church is fully wheelchair accessible, and loop-enabled for the hearing-impaired. For a full schedule of activities and more information on our beliefs, visit our website at www.noxipc.com, or call our church office at 716-873-2423.